hook the wrong thing okay that song they truly are monsters this whole thing in Africa the fundraising got kicked off how let me see here Okay, that first song, let me get this file open, Do They Know It's Christmas by a band called Band Aid, okay? And that was around 1985 
time to get those fundraising drums beating. And after that lovely tune, reminding people about people in Africa, then came the um, popular song, We Are the World. And that was a charity single recorded by the supergroup USA for Africa in 1985. So that was the, the first one. It said, soon after the UK-based group Band-Aid released Do They Know It's Christmas in December of 1984, the musician and activist Harry Belafonte, another black dude going out for his own people, right? Okay, um, began to think about an American benefit single for, America, for African famine relief. He enlisted this fundraiser and Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie to write the song. Okay. We are the world's first recording session on January 21st, 1985. The historic event brought together some of the era's best-known musicians. And they have been over there robbing Africa ever since. All these music things and all that stuff. So don't get me started on that. Yeah, so. And, um, oh, welcome to today's show, by the way. <laughs> I got intense on keeping track of did I have the song going or didn't I? Um, yeah, so this is how it all got started fundraising in Africa. And today, buckle up, kids. It's going to be kind of a different kind of a show. I have a lot to go over. Um, everything from the weird... <laughs> about the San Francisco earthquake to the um, what's going on in Haiti now and what's going on in Africa with all these diseases uh, because I've been going through the worm business, you know, worms. And there's just a lot to those worms. I mean, the worms, I mean, the serpents, the serpents. It, yeah, there's a lot to this worm deal. So first, let's tackle the deal with Africa. What is going on in Africa? So, so that kicked off that. Okay, this, this file's kind of jumping around here a little bit. I found something kind of fun this week. Um, during the San Francisco earthquake, there's a famous um, Italian opera, operatic tenor. He sang, O Solo Mio. <laughs> His name was Enrico Caruso. He just happened, This you know, nobody likes the backstory better than me. So... I don't know if I'll have much about the San Francisco earthquake here, um, but it was completely a crime scene, okay? Um, during that time, the um, officials in San Francisco were undergoing um, bribery and all kinds of other allegations and trials and stuff, and then the earthquake happened, whoops! <laughs> and then um, after the earthquake, the same people who had been getting tried for bribery and stuff remained in charge, so yeah. so. Who happened to be there during the earthquake but some Italian tenor? I couldn't make this stuff up of a tribe. He was um, born February 1873 to 2nd of August 1921. And he has just a very interesting story about what went on during the earthquake. He sang to great acclaim at the major opera houses of Europe and the Americas, appearing to a wide variety of roles, 74 of them, from the Italian and French repertoires that ranged from the lyric to the dramatic. 
one of the first major singing talents to be commercially recorded, Caruso made 247 commercially released recordings from 1902 to 1920, which made him an international popular entertainment star. Um, members of the Mets roster of artists, including Caruso, had visited San Francisco in April 19, 1906 for a series of performances. Whoops. Following an appearance as Don Jose in Carmen at the city's Grand Opera House, a strong jolt awakened Caruso at 5.13 in the morning. Of course, it was 5.13 in the morning, right? On the 18th in his suite at the Palace Hotel. So Caruso finds himself in San Francisco singing at the uh, Grand Opera House, right? But he's asleep in his suite at the Palace Hotel. And I'm reading from their words. He found himself in the middle of the San Francisco earthquake, which led to a series of fires that destroyed most of the city. The Met lost all of the sets, costumes, and musical instruments that it had brought on tour, but none of the artists were harmed. Holding an autographed photo of President Theodore Roosevelt, Caruso ran from the hotel, but was composed. Caruso ran from the hotel, but was composed enough to walk to the St. Francis Hotel for breakfast. Charlie Olson, the broiler cook, made the tenor bacon and eggs. Apparently, the quake had no effect on Caruso's appetite as he cleaned his plate and tipped Olson $2.50. Caruso made an ultimately successful effort to flee the city, first by boat, and then by train. He vowed never to return to San Francisco and kept his word. And then there was this a little bit of something about Caruso that I couldn't resist. So that happened in April of 1906, right? He was there for their performances in San Francisco when they happened to have the earthquake, okay? So rolling forward to November of 1906, Caruso was charged with an indecent act allegedly committed in the monkey house of New York Central Park Zoo. The police accused him of pinching the buttocks of a married woman. Caruso claimed a monkey... <laughs> I gotta roll down here without losing track. Caruso claimed a monkey did the bottom pinching. He was fined guilty and fined... He was found guilty and fined $10. Although suspicious linger that he may have been entrapped by the victim and the arresting officer. The leaders of New York's opera-going opera high society were outraged initially by the incident, which received widespread newspaper coverage, but they soon forgot about it and continued to attend Caruso's Met performances. Caruso's fan base at the Met was not restricted, however, to the wealthy. Member of members of America's middle classes also paid to hear him sing or buy copies of his recordings. He enjoyed a substantial following among New York's 500,000 Italian immigrants. Okay, now I'm going to start winding around some just some other things now that we got Caruso out of the way there. Um, so, also remember. 
I was ta I've talked about circumcision many times. Um, there was a show I did about the Kellogg's, you know, Kellogg's uh, cornflakes and their involvement in circumcision in this country. And now the pieces of the puzzle make a lot more sense to me, right? Well, who pushed circumcision? Well, the Bible. The first person God commanded to be circumcised was Abraham. God made a covenant, covenant with Abraham to be his God, to give him a multiple of descendants who would be his special people, and to give those people canon as their homeland. Circumcision was a sign of that covenant. As a permanent mark in the body, circumcision symbolized the permanency of God's covenant with his people. Well, think for yourself, thinky thinky kids, because why is it that the prevalence of circumcision still to this day is the United States, Israel, and Nigeria? Pretty good question, huh? Well, the idea of circumcision came from the Bible, which came from being made up by them, okay? So, um, and looking at all of this stuff with Africa, these worms and stuff, um, I look further into Ebola. A lot is being hidden there in Africa, and you'll get why I'm going there as I move along here for a while. Because there's a lot with this worm, there's a lot with these obliques, you know, that penis symbol that's around. Um, the Pope, you know, remember the Pope sits at the head of a snake. So there's just a lot about that symbolism. Um, and one thing I found kind of alarming is um, eight months ago, I read that six African countries are going to kick off the mRNA vaccine production. So I guess they're going to need to figure out that it's killing people here first, right? See, what they did was they acted like, well, they didn't have enough vaccines for Africa, so now they can act like the white saviors that they are and go there and say, well, we kind of made a mistake before, so let, let's fix that. Okay. So, this Ebola business. Um, the Ebola supposedly, in 2014, may have been born out of an accidental lab leak at a U.S. government-funded facility. Well, I don't know. I would have to say probably, you know, our friends over there at uh, Fort Detrick. Okay, um, so they said that um, they found inconsistencies in the official timeline of the West African epidemic. Because what I'm going here is I've been looking at why are all these rampant horrific diseases located in Africa. And um, so I went looking for Ebola. How did, because I think a lot of this, this stuff with this we are the world, oh come sing along, oh come give us money, was to throw our eyes off of what the reality was, right? Because I don't believe that any of that money likely got spent on people in Africa. But it was a very good deflector, if you ask me, because it gave people, can, every time people would see these pictures and stuff, even right now, they probably are thinking, yeah, well, you know, that's all being taken care of by these musicians and all that fundraising. And we went to a concert and we sang and we danced. And no, no, it's not really what it was about, right? That was a distraction which happened in the 80s. So how did Ebola, and there is this popular origin story, this kid called Emil Owano, and that person is known as Patient Zero. 
contracted the virus from bats. Bats, B-A-T-S, same thing as the other virus, right? But they did a new investigation suggesting it could have come from a government lab in Kenema, K-E-N-E-M-A, in Africa. In 2009, a project called PREDICT started looking at Ebola and other viruses and collecting animal samples. They could have been studied in the KENEMA lab, the new analysis claims. But in 2014, somebody concluded bats in Guinea, where those worms are from, were the likely culprit and published a well-received research paper. So 2014, they're saying that bats in New Guinea did it, right? Um, not the not the lab leak. But in July that year, officials in Sierra Leone instructed the Kenema lab to stop Ebola testing, and the U.S. government cut its funding to partners of the lab. So obviously something was going on in this lab in Africa, right? And somehow people figured it out and said that it was bats, and they said, okay, well, let's close this thing down. What happens is the reason that you go to certain locations is because the chances of any studies leaking out become minimized, right? Uh, I've also been looking at cholera because they have their boot on the neck of Haiti, if you think these people aren't anything but full-on racist, I got news for you, okay? So let me wander around here to Haiti. Um, what they do with these diseases is they seem to have reoccurrences of them, okay? Now, I'm not a virologist. I really don't know. I'm just gathering up data, and this is just my conclusion, right? That it seems suspicious that when incidents happen, like what's going on in Haiti right now, and I'll get to that story in a second here, is um, all of a sudden there's cases of cholera in Haiti again, right? Because um, after more than three years with no reported cases of cholera in Haiti, on 2nd of October 2022, the national authorities reported two confirmed cases of cholera. So um, cholera, is a, cholera is a bacteria that sickens people who swallow contaminated food or water, and it can cause severe vomiting and diarrhea, and in some cases leading to death. Haiti's first major brush with cholera occurred more than a decade ago when UN peacekeepers introduced the bacteria into the country's biggest river via sewage runoff at their base. Nearly 10,000 people died and thousands of others were sickened. So first brush with cholera because of the UN peacekeepers put the bacteria into their biggest rivers. You imagine how that could have happened, right? So, um, so then the cases eventually dwindled to the point where World Health Organization was expected to declare Haiti cholera free this year. But on October 2nd, Haitian officials announced that cholera had returned. At least 40 deaths and 1,700 suspected cases have been reported, but officials believe the numbers are much higher, especially in crowded and unsanitary slums and government shelters where thousands of patients live. Okay. 
The 2022 Haitian crisis is an ongoing socioeconomic and political crisis in Haiti that has been marked by rising energy prices due to 2022 global energy crisis, as well as protests and civil unrest against the government of Haiti. Yeah, um, I'm not even going to get on that far as um, the boot of the U.S. government that's there. Um, now there's armed gang violence, an outbreak of cholera, shortages of fuel and clean drinking water, and widespread acute hunger. It is a continuation of instability and protests that began in 2018. So I'm not going to get too far into the weeds here, but um, there was a, there's been a blockade at the port there, okay? Following the assassination of Haiti's then-president, Jovel Moise, on 7 July 2021, Ariel Henry assumed the office of acting prime minister. In September of 2022, which would be last month, or a month before last, Henry announced that the government would be ending fuel subsidies and that the price of petroleum products would be increasing. This led to protests, including a demonstration in Port-au-Prince that escalated to a riot days later. So, <clears throat> well, now I wasn't there, and I'm not planning on going there, but I can pretty well guarantee you that um, this is all being engineered by the U.S. government. And I'll get to why. Um, in October 11, 2022, Henry and his cabinet requested the deployment of foreign troops to oppose the gangs and anti-government demonstration in Port-au-Prince. On 15th October last month, the United States and Mexico sent armored vehicles and military equipment to aid the Haitian government. On 21 October, the UN Security Council voted unanimously to approve sanctions on Haiti, namely an asset freeze, travel ban, and arms embargo aimed at the country's armed gangs. So, yeah, and then, then of course, this outbreak of cholera in Haiti was reported in October of 2022. Huh. Interesting timing, right? Um, oh, I don't know. These people just go on and on. Um, let me see here. Yeah, and so, so that's Haiti, okay? And uh, I have more Haiti here, but like I said, this file is totally unorganized, so I'll get, I have more stuff about what led to people in Haiti now being so desperately poor, and it had to do with, well, why don't you take a guess while I'm waiting here for you to answer me? Who do you think had the most likely cause to cause oppression in Haiti? Ding, ding, ding. If your answer was the United States government, you would be correct, kids. You would be correct. And a star goes to you for paying attention. Yes, the U.S. government always has a boot on these black people, don't they? That's why there's always this talk about all this racism. Well, I don't know. I certainly have not had any part in locking up black people in this country for the smell of weed. I personally have not had anything to do with Africa. Um, and it seems funny that it's all these black countries, right? Okay, um... So I was looking into Africa, cholera, emerging infectious diseases, and fevers and plagues, and trying to get a handle on what's going on in Africa. 
as far as these infectious diseases. At the beginning of the 21st century, infectious diseases remain responsible for about a quarter of deaths worldwide, causing at least 10 million deaths per year, mainly in the tropical countries. Emerging infectious diseases are a high burden on public health, but also have an impact on global economies. Their origin is generally connected to social and economic conditions as well as environmental and ecological factors. A substantial risk of wildlife zoonotic, that's what it's called, zoonotic, Z-O-O-N-O-T-I-C, that is infecting animals to humans, their favorite trick here, right? Remember smallpox? <laughs> I could go on and on. Okay, a substantial risk of wildlife zoonotics and vector-borne emerging infectious diseases exists mainly at lower latitude developing countries such as tropical Africa. Overall, 60% of emerging infectious diseases are zoonosis, of which 72% are from wildlife. Emerging infectious diseases, so I had to figure out what was the word I was looking for because then I went looking around at infectious diseases in other parts of the world. That's how I got here. So, emerging infectious diseases are mainly those that have recently appeared in a population or have already existed but are rapidly increasing in incident or geographical range because what I started noticing was well they get these diseases a lot of them seem to come from bats and other things but they seem to when I was looking at Haiti I realized that well cholera is obviously back again in Haiti right so don't let a good evil trick go, go to waste right they already got those bugs loaded up with this stuff so okay emerging infectious diseases are mainly those that have recently appeared in a population or have already existed but are rapidly increasing in incident or geographic range. Although much depends on the type of emerging infection, the development of modern, rapid, sensitive, and accurate methods of microorganism detection has played an important role in the diagnosis and identification of emerging infectious diseases. So, yeah, I, I don't know, because maybe I'm missing something, okay? Because I'm not a doctor, okay? I really struggle with this stuff. Maybe I'm missing something. But it appears to me that, um, well, it appears to me that these are the same kind of diseases. Let me get past this part here. Um, okay. Um, so, yeah, it appears to me that um, these diseases keep, rotating around poor countries, right? Um, oh, so what happened with Haiti? Well, Haiti, um, let's go back a little bit here, okay? Another fundraising event was in Haiti, sadly. Um, going back in history a little bit, the U.S. Embassy in Haiti worked closely with factory owners contracted by Levi's, Haynes, and Fruit of the Loom to aggressively block a paltry minimum wage increase for workers in apparel factories. 
And there is this WikiLeaks cable leak, which, you know, that WikiLeaks thing, Julian Assange is all fake, of course, so I have to remind you of that. So, um, so they began monitoring the minimum wage issue as early as 2008. And here we are at 2022, and now there's riots in Haiti. Okay, so we've come full circle. So how does this happen? Well, it usually always happens from oppression, right? So uh, 2008, the Haitian parliament began discussing doubling or tripling the daily minimum wage of Haitian fees to keep up with inflation. That's roughly equal to a dollar and 75 cents a day, or about 22 cents per hour. Three quarters of Haitians live on less than two dollars a day, according to the United Nations World Food Programs, while garments constitute about 90% of Haiti's exports, according to The Guardian. Okay, uh, let me see. Back in 2008 and 2009, um, let's see here. I hear somebody hissing behind me. Um, plug this computer in. Okay. Back in 2008 and 2009, embassy officials repeatedly told Washington that a hike would hurt the economy and undermine U.S. trade preference legislation known as HOPE, H-O-P-E. It, hope means Haitian Hemispheric Opportunity Through Partnership Encouragement Act of 2006 gives garments manufactured on the island duty-free access to U.S. markets. Levi Strauss, Hainsware, Nautica, and Dockers are just some of the American companies that benefit from Hope. Congress passed Hope in 2008 and extended it for another 10 years. Um, so what happened was um, they were running around saying you can't pay them more because things will be terrible if these people make money. Um, the State Department, U.S. State Department, continued to promote hope as an economic boon for the islands. Um, they Clinton and them told the diplomats to urge the Haitian government to urge the Haitian government take advantage of hope and hope too. So, um, yeah, so it was just all about oppressing them to giving them, you know, 22 cents an hour. And it was all on the behest of that. So, yeah, so, um, and this really weaves around because I talked about Haiti when they did the initial um, slave boats ended up in Haiti and, and uh, Cuba and this country. Back in 1915, U.S. Marines moved the gold in the Haitian Treasury to Fort National City Bank of New York, now Citibank, and soon after dissolved the Haitian Parliament. In 1919, they imposed a U.S. written constitution on Haiti. So, yeah, um, the Marines didn't leave Haiti until 1935. Um, I don't know. 
they're over there occupied there now. Um, so um, what happened was in Haiti was this person was put in under Clinton. Um, this guy was a nightclub owner and performer with solid ties to the repressive ruling class group known as the Machias. Anyways, that's just getting too far into there. Okay, so um, the legal it was the legal minimum wage from one seventy five to five dollars a day is all they wanted. So, and then uh, what happened then? Well. What usually happens, right? A fire or an earthquake. So, um, Bill Clinton also played a prominent role in Haiti while Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State. He was appointed as the UN's special envoy to Haiti in May of 2009 before the January 2010 earthquake. Oh, almost like they saw that happening, right? So Bill Clinton is a special envoy to Haiti six months before the earthquake. He urged investors to make money in Haiti when he and Secretary General Ban Ki-moon visited that year. Um, so then rolling forward, he's fundraising in May and then an earthquake happens in January of 2010. After the earthquake, whose destruction of Haiti touched the hearts of the working people of the world and produced a nearly unprecedented flood of donations, Bill Clinton used his position to become co-chair of the Interim Haiti Recovery Commission. This role gave him a strong influence in how the $6 billion that flowed through this commission was dispersed. So yeah, that's how they that's how they stole their friends with McKesson. That's just how they got all that money and Haiti is still there. So yeah, um all to get cheaper clothes, right? All to get cheaper clothes. Um Yeah, I don't know why I had that about, but it seems to me, and obviously, this I'm going to leave it here, but it seems to me that when the U.S. took possession of the gold in Haiti and wrote up these different things, that, well, probably like everything else, it means that um, the U.S. is still in charge, but they prefer to play a sneaky role, like they don't have anything to do with it. Um, okay. Two parts of the world that these diseases pop up, and I keep seeing them. Um, there's a part of the world called Africa. Obviously, we have a handle on that, right? We can all look at that map. But you hear the words um, experience in Africa and these climate ranges of these countries, right? Um, and the other place they're talking about is Southeast Asian countries. And because I'm fairly illiterate, <laughs> I had to look. So in case you also are confused about what do Southeast Asia, because they're always saying, oh, well, cholera's back again in Africa and Southeast Asia countries. Like, like, what, what, what do Southeast Asia companies mean? Okay. Okay. Burma, Brunei, East Timor. Vietnam, Indonesia, Cambodia, Laos, 
Malaysia, Singapore, Thailand, and the Philippines. Okay, so. Um, I was looking at um, um, diseases in these Southeast Asia regions, okay? And mosquito-borne illnesses are likely one of the first types of diseases that spring to mind. While they are certainly a risk, um, you would be, might be surprised to hear that people living in Bangkok, Phnom Penh, Hanoi, and other large Southeast Asian cities have little chance of contracting most mosquito-borne diseases. But there is this disease called DENG, D-E-N-G-U-E, and that is the only exception to all this mosquito business, right? And obviously, countries that have mosquitoes obviously are getting those mosquitoes from someplace obviously suspicious, right? <laughs> it just seems suspicious to me that in certain parts of the world, they're more likely to have infectious diseases having to do with bats, mosquitoes, and this kind of stuff. Dengue, which is a viral infection that causes sudden fever and acute joint pain, is a problem in all of Southeast Asia, including Bangkok and Singapore. Other mosquito-borne illnesses, such as Japanese encephalitis and malaria, are typically resigned to rural areas. And this is what made Southeast Asia important to me, at least. Home to 25% of the world's population and bearing 30% of the global disease burden. The World Health Organization has an important role. Yes, of course they do. So vaccines are widely recognized as one of the most cost-effective and successful public health interventions. Across Southeast Asia region, immunization has pre prevented millions of deaths and disabilities. Excuse me. Strong immunization systems built over the past decade ensure that over 32 million infants are now fully immunized annually and more than 90% of the population in the region is accessing the benefits of life-saving vaccines. So they clearly, um, they've had a big effort in this region of the world. Um, what they do is they send people around wearing um, pink um clinical outfits, right? These women go around to different places where the workers and their children are, are living to work and they'll um, sign them up for immunization. And in, in the last 10 years, it has been highly successful, okay? Um, these achievements are an immense source of pride and testimony to the work of political decision makers and the millions of health workers and volunteers supporting immunization programs. Um, they were talking about this child named Raza and it said a few years ago very few children like Raza would have been up to date on their vaccines so yeah sadly enough um, the Southeast Asian part of the world is, um, is full of vaccines and stuff um, so um, yellow fever is another thing that came from mosquitoes um, and it is 
stretches across Africa and South America. South America is another place on these maps, and I'll give you the names of these maps to look for yourself. Um, so I also looked at the annual incident of selected communicable diseases worldwide in Africa region in 2022, okay? Um, emerging or re-emerging known diseases that have been involved in outbreaks since the beginning of the 21st century in Africa. Although most are zoonic, some of them are this thing called t weevil infections. That would be cholera and measles that do not have a zoonic component. But remember, um, smallpox have the cow or the zoonic thing. So cholera and measles do not have an animal tied to, okay? African, Africa can be seen as distinct from the rest of the world and even from other parts of the developing world, which are also affected by the emergence and reemergence of diseases. Most dangerous infectious agents that kill humans originate in Africa. In addition, the difficulties with morbidity surveillance in Africa are well known. In the context of multiple epidemics that have been recognized over the past decade, Numerous assessments of surveillance systems have revealed problems essentially across the board. Poverty and poor health care exacerbate health problems. Um, the HIV and AIDS epidemic has been progressively growing worse annually and about 33 million people suffered from it across the world. 65% of them live in sub-Saharan Africa. And didn't they also say AIDS came from a monkey? Um, and another mosquito-borne disease, dengue fever, D-E-N-G-U-E fever, is guessed to, guessed, guessed, they're guessing here, right, to influence over 50 million people annually. Epidemics are most general in Africa and Asia those parts of Asia I was just talking about. Moreover, high fevers, beating headaches, muscle pain, as well as possible circulatory failure are main symptoms of the disease. People suffering from it should seek treatment which is not always available to defend against the worst potential result. This is another thing, too, because if you remember back when I was going through the early 1800s here and all those wards they set up, the mental wards, those mental wards were also places to rest. They are places to rest from people who supposedly had tuberculosis. Who has tuberculosis? Well, Africa has it now. Tuberculosis has, be has become one of the most serious diseases in Africa, usually cooperating with HIV as well as AIDS. Over 8 million new tuberculosis cases are reported annually. Uh, over half of people infected pass away if they're not cured. It is stated that a new tuberculosis infection takes place every second in Africa because of the undernourishment, a shortage of immunization, and the extenuating occurrence of HIV and AIDS. It is a disease caused by water which leads harsh, oh, I snipped. Okay, um, in 2012, 
World Health stated that cholera outbreak in Guinea, where many inhabitants had suffered. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's amazing. They raised all those billions of dollars, right? Um, I, I don't know. I've already covered this river blindness. Pneumonia is also really big in that part of the world. Um, okay. Um, yeah. Um, there was other another theory about um, what triggered this Ebola thing was um, a one-year-old boy from Guinea became infected after playing with bats in a tree. Now, do you really believe a one-year-old boy would be playing with bats in a tree? He died from the disease in December of 2013. It is believed that the boy infected his mother. Um, the mainstream theory was first floated in a floated in a research paper published in December 2014. The severe Ebola virus disease epidemic occurred in West Africa stems from a single zoonic transmission event to a two-year-old boy. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, it's, um, then they always have a lot to talk about, right? Did it come from the lab? Did it not come from the lab? Was it a bat? Was it a cow? Was it a bear? Um, So, uh, well, that's enough about Ebola. Um, I guess my point here is that um, we've got a lot of diseases that are roaming around Africa that seem to be contained within that African culture. Um, heavy introduction of vaccines wanting to happen there. Um, I don't know. I think that with all these diseases, that it's probably something that um, would pe get people shunned to these villages. A lot of mystery about what's making the diseases happen. So I imagine getting this disease would probably shun you and your family. But of course, I've never been invited to an African village. I'm just guessing here that, you know, education level's not real high. Somebody has some weird disease going on. I'm just guessing it, it would appear to me like it would be a good way to get shunned by people, right? Um, so yeah, um, and during and as part of this Ebola virus, they say that um, it most commonly affects people in non-human primates, such as monkeys, gorillas, and chimpanzees. Um, Ebola virus, Sudan virus, Thai forest virus. Okay, so yeah, um, these viruses are just seeming to be running amok, right? Um, I think this is about all, because I looked up, you can look up on a map, and these are very simple words to remember. Global examples of emerging and re-emerging infectious diseases. And you will notice a big concentration of diseases going on over and over in Africa. One other thing I'd like to draw your attention to is look for a map of foreign military bases in Africa. You will find a map. This information now is pretty easy to find. 
You also want to look for U.S. military locations. They're called AFRICOM, A-F-R-I-C-O-M. One has to wonder, why does the U.S. military have locations all across Africa? Then I looked at a map of causes of death in the world. Well, in most of our cultures, it's heart disease, um, but... If you look at the, the whole map of Africa lights up with HIV, AIDS, and all of that. So where is the cause of death around the world? It is just broken up like crazy, this HIV, AIDS stuff all the way through Africa. Um, okay, there has been this military expansion in Southeast Asia also. You can also look for that, right? Um, Okay, have, um, there's this place called um, the Flintlock, F-L-I-N-T-L-O-C-K training exercise place across North and West Africa. Flintlock, Flintlock, more than 2,000 troops. Now remember, these, I'm not saying that any of these numbers are correct, okay? Um, more than 2,000 troops from the United States and more than 20 other countries would spend almost three weeks running through drills, sharing skills, and best practices for dealing with terrorists and other crises. Since 2005, the Pentagon has held Flintlock every year in one or more countries. After its creation in 2008, U.S. Africa Command, AFRICOM, took over the annual war game from U.S. European Command. America's top headquarters in Europe had previously been responsible for all American military operations in Africa. So they're saying here that the top headquarters in Europe run by the U.S. had been responsible for Africa, okay? Um... Okay, I think I said it's important. This this guy made this quote. He said, Long live the relationship between the different countries and the armed forces of our countries. Said during an opening ceremony in his country's capital, I won't even try to pronounce it, whatever, O-U-A-G-A-D-O-U-G-O-U. And he went on to say, long is definitely the operative word. The U.S. military has been actively involved in Africa since World War II. So, but Flintlock might be a near-perfect microcosm of how many people view U.S. military activities in Africa. Yes, people may view it as something to do with, um, oh, I don't know, just doing these training drills, right? Well, you have to ask yourself, have you ever tried to sneak onto a U.S. military base? I was raised around military bases. They're, they're, you just can't sneak on and off a U.S. military base, okay? You got these military bases in a obviously pretty impoverished, impoverished country. Um, lab leaks popping up with different diseases and stuff. Well, you do the math breeding grounds for where these freaks are getting their children from. 
lots can go on those military bases. So this is what I started looking to Africa a few years ago because of this thing here, right? Because I was wandering around, and there's this place called Camp Lemonier, L-E-M-O-N-N-I-E-R. That's in Africa, okay? So where did Camp Lemonier come from? Well, um, it is the primary base for U.S. Africa Command. Um, the main goal of this base is to provide America with a point of contact in Africa to help improve relations and help establish future military support across the continent. There are many other international bases in this country which also makes having an American, an American presence essential to ensure the safety of the region and its valuable waters. Well, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. What does this always have to say? Um, so the base you're looking for, this, um, let me get back up here, Camp Lemonier Camp in Africa, founded in 2002. It was the offshoot of the camp, and I can't find the name here, <laughs> so you have to, it was the offshoot of the base in Germany. After World War II, they had that big base in Germany, they needed more space. So where did that space go? Well, it spread out into Africa. And I have it here somewhere, but take my word for it. What happened was, I this is what I think happened, okay? And I'm just thinking, okay? You know, this has all been about human experiments, right? So after World War II, most people were thinking, hey, that era is over with. No more experimenting on people, right? Well, that's not, not, not exactly how it worked out, right? Um, because um, I did that show recently as far as the human experiments in this country. And I would have to say that right now, the same level of experiments are likely going on, but under the uh, night or, uh, or the guise of a U.S. military base in Africa. Because Bill Clinton, let me see, when I was doing the show about the failed ex experiments, okay, those supposedly ended in the 40s. Well, I found some more information about that. Why did those experiments end? Well, because they got caught. And so what happened was under Clinton, you can find his speech, look under Bill Clinton radiation. Um, Bill Clinton's job was to apologize to the U.S. Publish, public for those radiation experiments. Well, what happened after that? Well, we got smart boxes, right? Smart boxes, 3G, 5G, all about leaking radiation into our environment, right? So. Um, one thing always changes to the next thing. So it's my contention, and has been for a very long time, that the spillover from Germany was so great, that base, that it took bases all the way through Africa. So one has to wonder, I doubt they're there for goodwill, okay? And you think in all the billions they raised and all this time, they couldn't have straightened out the water in Africa and stopped all these diseases? So always remember one thing. Evil has to come packaged as hell. And here we are, over in our own little Western world, thinking, oh, those people in Africa, that's so sad about those photos. But, you know, look at all the money that's being sent over there. I'm sure something's being taken care of. Well, doesn't look to me like much is being taken care of. And it looks to me, distinctly, with no doubt in my brain, that Africa is just a continuation of this human experiment thing. And remember, 
I am only guessing. They've never invited me to one of their bases. So be safe out there. Goodbye for now.